Welcome to There Are Good Things Here, the podcast where we reflect on the lessons Katie Hubbard learned about living as she was preparing to die. I'm your host, Norman Hubbard, and I never once opened Katie's journals while she was alive. Now I'm opening them up to you so you can discover resources for your faith, refreshing honesty, and unexpected joy for the journey through a painful world with a wonderful God. I'm looking forward to this podcast today because we're actually going to be reading from three different sources. Katie's journal, an email that she sent to some friends who were praying for her, and then a CaringBridge entry that she wrote in February of 2015. Let's start with her journal entry from Monday, February 16th, 2015, where Katie writes, Dear Lord, Norman preached on Nehemiah 2 and 3 yesterday great sermon. It was so funny. There were times that I couldn't stop laughing, which I'm really grateful for, by the way, as the husband, that uh, she wasn't there sleeping. Glad she didn't say I couldn't stop snoozing. Anyway, Katie goes on to say, Saturday, I felt pretty down after all of this past week's events and news about my spine. Sunday, I woke up hearing Edna say, go, fight, win. I just felt so tired of being fearful. I know that was you. So I even made it through two services. All of this feels so surreal. Like one day I will wake up and it was all a bad dream. I look at those x-rays and MRIs and I think, this can't be me. You know, I got really curious about what I said in that message on Nehemiah 2 and 3 and went looking through my computer for my notes. Alas, they are nowhere. They're probably stuck in a stack of yellow legal pads. And uh, I don't have time to go through all those yellow legal pads. I guess I can do another podcast with just those. Uh, Anyway, Katie mentions the problems that she discovered in her spine. I'm going to read an email that she sent, a prayer update to friends that will give you more insight into what was happening at this point in her own treatment. But I love her comment about hearing Edna on Sunday morning in her head saying, go fight when, and that that's God speaking to her and giving her courage to go to church and make it through two services. Those of you who know Katie might know that that's a reference to uh, The Incredibles, and Edna is the character who makes the super suits for Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, and she quotes it at length in her CaringBridge article, which I'll read, but just so classic that that would be in her head and that she would find herself uh, with God's divine grace to face her own fears through the voice of Edna from The Incredibles. She mentions making it through two church services, which was really rare for her. I have to say this, that church can be a really difficult place to be when you're going through a time of suffering. A lot of that is because you simply have to answer a lot of questions from a lot of well-meaning friends and oftentimes have to repeat the same thing multiple times. And even answering the question, "How, how are you doing, a sincere, heartfelt question, can really land on a person going through Uh, whether it's physical or emotional distress. 
as quite a burden because oftentimes you don't know how you're doing or you do know how you're doing, but does this person really want to know how you feel? Or maybe it's because your kids are standing right there and you just can't answer that as honestly as you might feel. Church sometimes can be difficult. Uh, It was for Katie and it was for me. It's also, of course, your family who loves and supports you through times like this. So there's a tension there, and I know that many of you have felt that. I want to go on to read a health update that Katie sent. It was actually a few days before the journal entry that I just read, which was on February 16th. She had written uh, to some friends who prayed consistently for her in her medical treatment and her family's needs. Uh, And I want to read that email that was sent on February 10th. She says this, All I had an MRI on Monday morning because I have had so much back and neck pain. I got the results back today, and it was pretty discouraging. A vertebra, T3, in my neck has collapsed. This basically means the cancer has eaten through the bone. Left untreated, it can cause paralysis. Every time I look down, I feel a numb sensation all down my body. It is very hard to take it all in, all of the medical terms that the doctor is throwing at you. It is so stressful to sit in the examination room and see your MRI and be able to assimilate what is happening and what the doctor is trying to explain. You just want to burst into tears on the spot, but you can't because you're trying so hard to understand what is happening and talk about treatment options. Right now, something is pushing out from one of the vertebrae, and that is what is causing the numbness. The vertebrae can be radiated, but there's a high risk associated with radiating the area, because if the radiation were to accidentally hit the spinal cord, that too would cause paralysis. Also, if I were to radiate, I would have to be completely immobilized during the procedure, so it would be quite a thing to undergo and endure. My radiation oncologist wants me to see a spine guy, by which Katie means a spinal specialist. I told him, if anyone is going to mess with my spine, I want to see someone at a big medical center where they do spine procedures and stuff all of the time. Miraculously, the head of the Spine Institute at Barnes in St. Louis, who specializes in this area, has an opening tomorrow morning at 1045 So Norman and I plan to drive down to St. Louis tomorrow to see him. Hopefully, he can do a procedure to elevate my collapsed vertebrae. It's called kyphoplasty. He might suggest something different, though. Obviously, my radiation oncologist does not specialize in this stuff, so he's not sure what needs to be done. A kyphoplasty is putting some kind of balloon in my vertebrae to elevate it. Who knows if that's exactly what it is, but it sounded something like that. Last week, Norman and I were in St. Louis to see Dr. Ma, our medical oncologist down there. She recommends that I take meds to get into menopause, and then there are some promising new drugs that target the specific mutations in my tumor. One of the drugs was just approved last Wednesday, so that's interesting. Of course, the spine stuff needs to come first, and then we will sort out the rest. Taking that new drug would also depend on insurance approval, which is always an issue. I'm sure with it being a brand new drug, it will be monstrously expensive. 
so we have a lot to sort out. Prayers are much appreciated. This all makes me feel pretty numb and fried. Pray for the kids. Obviously, this is all terribly upsetting. Yesterday was a two-hour MRI. Today was an hour and a half with a radiation oncologist. And then tomorrow is an all-day trip to St. Louis, and who knows what this doctor will have to say and what new information we will need to assimilate. Then we will need to take all of the information we've gathered and sort it out with my medical oncologist and figure out where we need to go and what we need to do. I do have the best family and friends in the world, though. Love, Katie. As you can tell in that email to friends, Katie was doing her best to assimilate a lot of difficult information in the midst of trying to make a lot of difficult choices. After she wrote that email, after she wrote the journal entry that I read at the beginning of this podcast, she went on to write a CaringBridge entry. It's dated February 16th, 2015, and it's entitled Music, Movies, and Roller Coaster Rides. I know some of you read this entry when it was originally posted, but many of you probably have not seen it in a long time. Maybe a few have not read it at all. I'm just going to read Katie's CaringBridge entry and let you hear how she processed not just inwardly and in prayer with God or in a prayer request to friends, but also publicly so that other people could understand what she was going through. Here is her entry from February 16th, 2015, entitled Music, Movies, and Roller Coaster Rides, still up on CaringBridge. January began with a PET scan and positive news. An MRI with not-so-great news ushered in February. Roller Coaster. The PET scan in January seemed to indicate that my cancer was not progressing. High metabolizing tumors show up as bright red on a PET scan, and there were far fewer glowing areas than my original PET scan from September 2014. However, I was still experiencing persistent back pain, so my oncologist ordered an MRI in February. The MRI showed that the cancer has been very busy all up and down my spinal cord. I have a collapsed vertebrae in my upper back, my T3, and a fractured one in my lower back, T12, for you medical types. Norman and I plan to go to St. Louis to have a procedure on Wednesday morning that involves injecting a cement-like material into my vertebrae to support the fractured, collapsed areas. Afterwards, I am scheduled to see a radiation oncologist to discuss the possibility of radiating, or actually re-radiating, some of the worst areas along my spine. Let's just pause here for a minute so I can give you Katie's non-medical guide to medical stuff. First of all, we tend to throw out sentences like, I had an MRI, and everyone nods knowingly, all the while kind of thinking, what in the world is an MRI anyway? There seem to be four ways to look inside your body that appear to be the most common. First, an x-ray, with which we are all familiar. Next comes a CT scan. A CT scan involves you lying on a table-like thing, getting an IV, usually by some burly tattooed guy named Vinny, and undergoing an injection of some ominous-sounding something that totally makes you feel like you just wet your pants on the table, but you haven't. 
This is totally unnerving. So, you're all hooked up to the IV, then he slides you in and out of a round tube-shaped machine so a radiologist sitting at a computer can look at whatever it is they are looking at inside of you. In order to see what they need to see, you receive the equivalent of 5,723 x-rays in the span of about 30 minutes. When the CAT scan is done, you walk out and the receptionist says, the doctor will call you sometime in the next month with your results. So, you go home and sweat it out, waiting to hear from someone at some point about what is wrong with you. Then, there's the PET scan. You would think that a PET scan involves your Maltese at the veterinarian's office, but it doesn't. A PET scan looks at your whole body, except your feet and brain. They take you back to a room and give you an IV and inject some other ominous-sounding stuff inside of you, usually administered by some cute little gal who looks like she just graduated from college yesterday. With great cheer, she tells you that you must sit quietly for an hour while the ominous intravenous stuff spreads all throughout your veins and body and stuff. While you sit there, alone for an hour, why do you have to sit there alone? I don't know, but you do. You try not to think about whatever it is they might find, and you wonder if that cute little gal knows just how hard it is to sit there by yourself and contemplate your fate. Probably not. But soon enough, well, not soon enough, they take you back into another room where there's this large tubular machine thing, actually two separate tube things, and they slide you in and out for a long time and take pictures all throughout your body. Doctors tend to get back to you very quickly about your PET scan results, within 24 hours, so that's nice. PET scans show cancer larger than one centimeter anywhere it might be in your body, besides your feet and brain. I don't know what else a PET scan might find or look for. Last, but definitely not least, is the MRI. Very soon, I predict, the technology of the MRI will go by the wayside and all of those in the medical world will laugh and say, remember when we had to stick people in the MRI machines? Those were the days. An MRI machine is a big, huge, massive machine that takes up an entire room and has this little itty-bitty narrow tube inside of it. As you walk into the room, you think, surely they are not going to stick me inside of that tube. Well, yes, they are. Now, I'm on the smallish end of the scale relative to the rest of humanity, and it's a tight fit for me. I am curious how grown men fit in there at all. As I lie in there, the top of the tube is very close to my face, and if I move my arms much at all, I touch the sides of the tube. Then they say, okay, don't move. I have never had an MRI take less than 45 minutes. The one I had last Monday took two hours. Two hours lying completely still in a claustrophobia-inducing tube. Thankfully, they do hand out medication to help you relax. The MRI machine is excessively loud, so loud that you need earplugs. It clangs and bangs and whatnot for the whole time you are in there. Oh, and of course you need an IV for that as well. So, there is your tutorial. May you never need to encounter any of these machines in your lifetime, or Vinny. If you do, request the happy pills. After my MRI last Monday, 
my medical oncologist wanted me to see my radiation oncologist. The medical oncologist oversees your meds and coordinates your treatment. The radiation oncologist, well, radiates you. When the radiation oncologist, also known as the radonc in the medical world, saw my MRI results, he reacted pretty strongly. He was very concerned about the damage to my spine, especially the collapsed vertebrae, concerned that it would push the bone into my spinal cord and could cause paralysis. Talk about a stressful doctor visit. So in one afternoon, you discover that the cancer is on the march again, and your doctor is throwing around words like paralysis. Thankfully, my radonc is pretty great, and he somehow got me in to see a spine cancer specialist in St. Louis the very next morning. Wednesday morning found Norman and I speeding down to St. Louis to discover who knows what. Was my radonc overreacting? Would the spine guy say I was okay and not be so concerned? Would the spine guy flip out and say that I would need an operation that afternoon? It's always very difficult to know how to prepare mentally for these doctor visits because you just don't have any idea what anyone is going to say. And there might be disagreements between the doctors on what they do say. And then, what do you say to your kids when you are zooming back to St. Louis again? So, we're sitting in a little room, waiting to see the doctor, and we hear the knock on the door. And in walk two guys. Gosh darn it, I totally forgot that this is a teaching hospital And that means that the resident intern fellow person is going to come in first and, oh, how I hate that. Disclaimer, I know that many of my nearest and dearest friends in the world are medical people, and all were in training at one time. And we have lots of former students who are in the medical world. And I look at these two guys, and I know all they have gone through to get where they are. And I don't think those people get much sleep either, and their lives are stressful but I'm living with stage four cancer and my radiation oncologist just threw around the word paralysis the day before. And it was totally nutty to make sure all four kids were going to get where they needed to be and have what they needed to have. And we just drove three hours to St. Louis on short notice. And I am about to cry because I always cry when I'm stressed and I don't want to cry because the last thing I want to do is break down with a new doctor who's about to give me new information and assess whether he thinks my situation is urgent and likely to result in paralysis and in walk the young doctors in training who look about as old as most of the guys who were at our NAV Christmas party in December. And the lead young guy says, as if he were chatting over a cup of tea, so what brings you in today? What? What brings me in today? Did that sentence really just come out of your mouth? I know you were just back there looking at my MRI, and there are at least 10 x-rays of my neck and spine hanging up on that brightly lit wall to my left, and if you can't see what brought me in today, then maybe you should look for another job. But I know that this guy is probably doing what he was told to do as a part of his training, and I am inherently polite, and I am trying not to cry, so I answer all of his blasted questions When did the pain start? Are you taking any medications? Blah, blah, blah. 20 minutes later, we have completely rehashed all of the painful events that have made up my life over the past five months, and I am completely wrung out. 
The nice young men leave. Do I sit quietly and wait for the doctor? No, I don't sit. I stand up and I stew. What just happened? Do I need to say something? Why did I even feel compelled to answer all of those questions? And then I remember the whole reason I am there is to get answers about my cancer and my spine. I am not there to comment on or change the way this hospital goes about training people. So I try to simmer down, remember my questions, and let the frustration go. So we hear the doctor knock on the door. And this time, he walks in along with three guys, the original two and some third person he picked up somewhere who spends the whole time doing something on a smartphone. I hope he was taking notes. Norman actually asked him if he was playing Clash of Clans. So now I have four men looming over me while I am trying not to cry or be intimidated and get my questions answer, answered. The short version of this appointment is that the spine doctor was more muted about the severity of my condition than my radiation oncologist. He feels that the cement the vertebra procedure, I think it is called vertebroplasty, will be an adequate course of treatment given my condition. It is supposed to help with the pain and provide greater structural stability to my spine in the damaged areas. As I mentioned earlier, Norman and I will consult with another radiation oncologist in St. Louis before returning home later on Wednesday. Radiation is risky because I've already been radiated in this area, and if they hit my spinal cord or over-radiate near it, that could be really, really bad. So the radiation procedure itself sounds pretty intimidating. On an altogether different front, I am about to switch gears with my medications, I'm going to stop chemo, which doesn't appear to be stopping the progression of my cancer, and start another kind of treatment that involves hormonal therapy. A new drug was just approved last week that we are going to attempt to get. Please pray that this drug will be available and that my insurance will cover it. All of these things take a while, and the wheels turn slowly. Of course, new treatments also mean new side effects and new unknowns, but maybe better results and definitely more entertaining Caring Bridge entries. So, this week has been challenging, and it's hard to think about the upcoming week. Wednesday sounds like it will be a long day. Saturday, it felt like the weight of it all came crashing down on me. Norman was supposed to preach Sunday morning, and I just didn't know if I could rally and make it to church. I find mornings to be very difficult because I wake up feeling very bad physically. It takes a few hours for the meds to kick in and for me to get going, and the enormity of it all just hits upon waking, and everything feels like such a tremendous effort, and it's day after day after day. I woke up Sunday morning, and would you believe I heard in my mind Edna from The Incredibles saying in her terrific accent, What are you talking about? Pull yourself together. You are Elastigirl. Go, confront the problem. Fight. Win. And I thought, darn it, I am just so tired of being afraid and not trusting and worrying and realizing again for the hundredth time that I have a choice in all of this, how I face my days how I train my thoughts, what I focus on. And I just felt such a renewed strength and desire to trust the Lord 
and believe his word and move forward. Church was awesome. I'm so thankful I got to be there and hear Norman. Worship was great. It was all great. I keep reading Isaiah 40. The whole chapter is amazing, but it talks about running when you are weary and walking and not fainting. And we sang about that. And then thinking about this past week, even though it was stinky and hard and I have friends who have received bad news also, I don't have to defend or explain God. He is on his throne. I must stop viewing God through my circumstances, but instead view my circumstances through God. And I thought about my friends who brought their 10-week-old baby over Saturday just so I could sit there and hold her and marvel at what a wondrous miracle babies are. And my friends who brought meals over this week and my friend who listened to me on the phone while I sobbed and broke down and she had just returned from her dad's funeral and listened so lovingly to me and the wonderful couple who live with us and take care of Joseph and serve me in a bazillion ways, and friends who emailed and prayed and sent Valentine's Day cards and gifts and drove my kids places, and the men restoring our mildewed motorhome and parents who are willing to drop everything and come, and God's grace is everywhere. I have this great version of the song, Gonna Fly Now, a rendition of the Rocky theme song, and has quotes from the movie interspersed, and Mickey, the grizzled old coach, says, But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. I think Mickey and Edna are related, and that's how I want to face my day. Sometimes I wonder who I would be and what I would be like without facing cancer three times in the past six years. I have no idea, but I do know it has given me the perspective that time is not something that can be wasted. Every single day I have with my family is a gift, and I have a choice as to how I will spend this day and every day that I've been given. I have no control over the cancer that is relentlessly eating me up, but I do have control over my thoughts, emotions, reactions, and choices. And since I have quoted those two great pillars of philosophy, The Incredibles and Rocky, I think I better throw in something a bit more spiritual. I was listening to Surely He Hath Borne Our Griefs and Sorrows from Handel's Messiah, which is just straight scripture, you know, from Isaiah 53. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. So I find myself once again thinking about Jesus and how he suffered for us, and what a mystery it all is that he came down here and lived on earth and experienced so much pain.
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews 4.15 says, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Norman says that the New Testament context of being tempted usually has to do with doubting the goodness, power, or presence of God in the midst of trials. When the hard times come, the temptation is toward unbelief. That temptation is not for the easy days when everything is sunny, but for the hard days when everything is dark and the way forward is dark and the outcome here on this earth remains uncertain. As I quote from Rocky and the Incredibles, what I'm really quoting is Matthew 7, 24 and 25, where Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And that is the strength that God gives for rough weeks and stormy days. And hey, if handle ain't your thing, how about some Lecrae from his song, Walking on Water? Christ has got me walking on the water when the wind's blowing and when the storm's brewing and when the tide's high, that's when I lean into the truth that I abide by. When I see a problem, when it gets tough, I don't get soft, man, I ain't giving up. There's no turning back, man, I will stay strong. It's time to go hard or it's time to go home, so I'm walking on water. I'm your host, Norman Hubbard. Please join me next week for another look into the journals of Katie Hubbard, where we'll discover resources for our faith, refreshing honesty, and unexpected joy in our journey through a painful world with a wonderful God. You can find a scanned copy of the journal entry I read today, along with show notes at therearegoodthingshere.com. While you're there, feel free to post your own thoughts about today's podcast. If you're finding this podcast inspiring or helpful, would you post a brief and honest review of it on Apple Podcasts? That could help others find encouragement and hope for their journey.